Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Joan Didion said that we tell ourselves stories in order to live. It's the power of narrative that shapes every aspect of our lives. We rush to tell stories to our friends and family to validate our experiences. We buy products and brands because of the story they tell us. We vote, make friends, and even enemies by virtue of the stories that we believe. Narrative has an emotional pull on us. Sometimes we take away joy, anger, laughter, or sadness. People don't rush out in large numbers to see PowerPoints or policy discussions or even most documentaries. But they will react and rush to see dramas or comedies or horror movies. They will like or dislike social media based on the stories they've ingested. It all sounds so simple, so logical, but it's often lost in the cacophony of noise, data, and information that surrounds us every day. We're going to talk about this with my guest, Frank Rose. Frank Rose's previous book is The Art of Immersion, a landmark look at tech and narrative. He's a former contributing editor of Wired and a contributing writer at Fortune. He teaches global business at Columbia University's Strategic Storytelling Seminar and heads the awards program at Columbia's Digital Storytelling Lab. It is my pleasure to welcome Frank Rose here to talk about his newest book, The Sea We Swim In, How Stories Work in a Data-Driven World. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a delight to have you here. Have we gotten further away from the ability to tell stories in this information-saturated world that we live in today? You know, it's funny. I think the I think the real issue is that for so many years, for so many decades, we were trained just to be a passive audience and to leave storytelling to the professionals. Obviously, in the past 15, maybe 20 years, that's changed uh, dramatically. You know, now we're all storytellers, uh, and it's really important, I think, to think like a storyteller in your professional life, in your personal life, uh, because arguing, let's face it, uh, gets you nowhere. Um, that's the real message of the sea we swim in. And yet it's, it's interesting when you look at, at technology as it relates to storytelling, many of these technology companies exist because their founders have done such a good job of telling their story to bankers or venture capitalists or what have you. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think the, I think the ultimate example is Apple, right? It's the most valuable public, publicly traded company in the world. And, uh, you know, largely because of Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs' abilities as a storyteller to, you know, really lay out uh, what he's offering. And I don't mean by that, uh, you know, in a technical sense. I mean, I mean, what he's offering in terms of fun, in terms of your ability to do things, in terms of your, of your ability to, uh, as he put it, think different. We've, we've gotten so fixated, particularly in the business world, on, on data points and PowerPoint presentations, how that relates to the, the business and art of storytelling. Well, I think that's a great question, Jeff, and and I think it really has to do with, um, uh, you know, the, that's why I use this subtitle, um, you know, how stories work in a data-driven world, because our world is increasingly data-driven, and it's all too easy to lose uh, sight of the power of storytelling. Uh, now, the thing about data is it can be incredibly 
uh, enlightening in terms of, you know, if you know how to use it, if you know how to mine it, if you know what, uh, you know, what, if, if you know what uh, conclusions to draw from it. But as a uh, substitute for storytelling, it's uh, not very good, shall we say. Is there a danger in all of this storytelling that it, that it packs too much of an emotional punch and it doesn't always have society's best interests at heart? Well, that's certainly true, and I think it is uh, potentially quite dangerous. And we've seen, uh, you know, many instances that just in the last year or two, uh, you know, where it has been dangerous. I mean, look at the coronavirus situation and the uh, vaccine. The, uh, the 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 argument against the vaccine is really driven by stories. Uh, you know, many of them extremely outlandish. Uh, and the argument for the vaccine has largely been driven by facts and figures and people trying to make a logical case, which is not nearly as effective as storytelling. And that's, uh, you know, this is exactly an example of how that works, unfortunately. Which raises the larger question, I suppose, as to why some stories work and some don't. It's true in the public square, as you're alluding to, but it's also true in terms of of entertainment, television, movies, what have you. There are hits and there are flops. They both might be good stories, but some stick, some don't. Yes, right. Well, uh, you know, th- there's a there's an old saying in Hollywood that um uh, you know, nobody knows anything, mm. right? And what that means is that the people who are supposed to know whether it's going to be a hit or a flop or, you know, whatever, uh, that is to say the producers, the studio executives, etc., uh you know, they're constantly getting blindsided. Um that said, there are certain things that we know that uh, help to make stories work. And uh, these things are, uh, you know, really things that I outline in my Columbia Strategic Storytelling Program, which is really kind of the inspiration for the book. That's how the, the book, The Sea We Swim In, really came about, uh, is through the uh, Strategic Storytelling Seminar. And they have to do with uh, things like, you know, at the most basic level, the author, the audience, and the journey. Any story uh, is really a situation of an author taking an audience on a journey. That's what it's all about. It unfolds over time. There's some sort of conflict uh, involved. There's some sort of stakes involved, which makes us care. And uh, if none of those happen, then we're not likely to uh, care much about the story. Um, there's also the sense of, uh, you know, who the characters are and how well drawn are they. If the characters are people that we care about or that we somehow identify with, that's going to be a very important uh, uh, factor as well. The other side of it is that there really is not necessarily a formula for this. Brad Stone, the business journalist, in his book about Amazon and Jeff Bezos, tells the story of how Bezos, as Amazon got more and more involved in in television and and film production, that Bezos said, we can come up with nine points that will define any project. If we just include these nine things, we'll have hit after hit after hit. And and people at the company persuaded him that basically that's not true, that you can't formulize it in that way. 
Yes, I think that's. Uh, I think they were quite correct. Uh, you know, there've been time after time there've been, uh, you know, situations in which uh, in in which that's been shown. When I was at Fortune in the late nineties, I reported on uh, Seagram's acquisition <laughs> of Universal, the the movie studio. And one of the things that most, you know, sticks sticks in my memory about the interviews that I did was, you know, the the people at the studio who told me that the, uh, you know, the Seagram executives came to them and said, well, you make, you know, X number of movies in a year and only, you know, X number of them are hits. Uh, why don't you only make the hits? And, you know, they said that this was a, like an actual conversation. And, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, stories are – there's a bit of magic to a successful story. And, uh, you know, it, it really means that you can't reduce it to a simple formula like that. Talk about the way you've seen it play out narrative and storytelling play out in our politics today? Well, uh, that's certainly, uh, you know, a salient example, right? I mean, the thing about Donald Trump, and, and I have to say I'm not a fan by any means, but the thing about Donald Trump is that he has a coherent story. Uh, you know, his presidency might not have been terribly coherent, but the story behind it and the story about him as a candidate, uh, you know, is is very uh, um on point for what he wants to do. And um, that's, I think, a, you know, a very telling example of, you know, the power of stories and their ability to, uh, you know, sort of, if you will, pull the wool over us, um, you know, pull the wool over our eyes. It's, uh, it's entirely uh, too likely that someone can come along and tell some kind of story that makes no sense, uh, that is not true, and yet people will believe it. The ultimate example of that, of course, is the is the big lie that he, you know, mm -hmm. won the election in a landslide and it was stolen away from him, you know, which is a completely outrageous story and a complete fabrication, uh, and yet millions and millions of Americans believe it. And it really goes to the line between storytelling. Or really, the nexus, I guess, between storytelling and propaganda. Yes, I mean, you know, exactly. Propaganda is really, uh, you know, storytelling that has been weaponized, and uh, you know, we see that time and again. Uh, sometimes we see it in relatively benign situations, as in advertising and so forth, um, but uh, we often see it in uh, situations like politics and in our current environment, certainly in medicine. What is the connection, as you see it, between storytelling and our, the appeal of stories and social media today? Well, that's a great question. You know, social media is really all about stories. And it's, especially in the case of Facebook, it's, we have this kind of bizarre situation, I think, where all these baby pictures and fuzzy animal pictures and so forth coexist with this often uh, sort of rabid propaganda, uh, you know, and it's not just in the United States by any means. In fact, it's, uh, uh, you know, there have been examples in, in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world where uh, hate groups have 
materialized and have mobilized people to, you know, in some cases, actively um, you know, commit massacres. And it's really a horrific situation. I'm, it's something that I don't think any of us imagined would happen when uh, when social media first came along, which is to say a, a more or less around 2005. Uh, and yet we have this situation in which companies like uh, Facebook and YouTube, which is a subsidiary of Google, in which companies like this are motivated to uh, promote engagement at all costs. And that's because engagement uh, translates into advertising dollars, and uh, that's what they care about. And what you have as a result is a situation in which, well, what's the most engaging content? Often it's content that makes us angry. Uh, and that translates uh, in many cases into content that makes us hate someone. And that's a really um, unfortunate situation, the to other, say the least. The other side of that, though, is that entertainment, movies, television, even going back to the early days of radio, has always been about engagement. It's been about getting ears or eyeballs and in, involved in a story involved in something that's engaging and that pulls an emotional response, generally in order to sell something. Yes, that's certainly true. And the the selling aspect might be uh, sort of at one remove, as like, you know, when a TV show has a sponsor. But, uh, but that's definitely, um, you know, part of the equation. You know, the thing about stories is that they encourage us to uh, – um, imaginatively project ourselves into the story and into the world of the story. There's been a lot of research in uh, cognitive psychology and neuroscience in the last 15 or 20 years, a lot of research into how stories work, how they work in the brain and how they affect us. And um, the general conclusion, there are several conclusions, of course, but the, the sort of most basic conclusion that I think most of the researchers share is that stories work by encouraging us to imaginatively project ourselves into the story. And if you think about it, anything that's, uh, you know, any type of story that's truly immersive, whether it's a movie or a TV show or, um, or, a, uh, uh, or a novel or a post on Facebook or a series of posts on Facebook, any of those is really... Uh, uh, something that encourages us to lose ourselves in the story. Uh, and that's, I think, the key to the power of storytelling. The other key, of course, is that it's all about emotion. You wonder about the immersive nature of it when we're looking at a world that can be filled with virtual reality in a few years. Yes, exactly. You know, virtual reality really fascinates me, and one reason is because if you think about the progression from the novel in the 17th, 18th century to uh, motion pictures at the very beginning of the 20th century to uh, uh, then television and, and uh, now um, the Internet and, and VR potentially, um, each of these developments has had the, the result basically of 
providing more and more and more and more information to us. Uh, with a novel, there's a great deal that's left to the imagination. With virtual reality, there's, uh, there's almost nothing that's left to the imagination. And I am fascinated by the fact that what we're seeing now at the time of virtual reality is really a return to uh, a return to the power of the voice in uh, podcasts, in radio, and in um, uh, audio books. And I think that's really fascinating. I'm not sure exactly uh, what it signifies, but it certainly suggests it certainly suggests that uh, we don't really want everything provided to us, uh, every bit of information. That we want something, some scraps at the very least, to be left to ourselves. Talk a little bit about AI and, and people talking about stories being constructed ultimately by AI. The thing about AI, I mean, obviously uh, uh, people are trying to come up with ways for artificial intelligences to tell a story, uh, just as they're trying to come up with a way for AIs to do all sorts of things. I think it's, I hesitate to say a fool's errand, but uh, I, I don't think it's really terribly well advised. I think that AI can certainly help us to tell stories, but I don't think an AI that, for example, does not have a human body, does not have any real understanding of, of us or who we are or what we're like or what we're made of, is going to be able to tell stories that uh, that really affect us, that really grab us, um, grab us emotionally. So, you know, if it's um, if it does, great. Um, but I don't think that's likely to happen. There are certainly instances where AIs can tell stories, and they're basically stories that have to do with uh, with a lot of facts, uh, because certainly an AI can marshal facts. Um, but uh, a story that has to do with emotion, uh, that that relies on the emotions, um, I think that's rather unlikely for the foreseeable future. Talk a little bit about the role, the importance of storytelling as it relates to science, I know you wrote for, for Wired for a while, and, and, and thinking about using stories to think about the future. Yes, well, I think that's really critical, especially when we are facing the kind of future we're facing now, which is to say, uh, you know, one uh, that's really uh, uh, defined by uh, climate change. What are young people learning about story today? Talk a little bit about the, the work you do at Columbia and how storytelling is seen as part of the world today by, by a younger generation. Sure. I think that, I think that younger people, uh, you know, in a way they tend to take stories for granted. Of course, um, we all take stories for granted, but perhaps in a, in a somewhat different way. They, they do tend to... Uh, you know, take for granted this idea that we are all storytellers. I think it's really older generations that recall the days, you know, before uh, the Internet became as critical in our lives as it is now. I think that younger people, because of social media, uh, because of the ubiquity of social media, because it's so easy to make videos uh, and share them online, I think that younger people, you know, really understand 
this idea that we're all storytellers. And uh, that is, I think, a really critical difference um, between older generations and younger generations today. Does that give you hope? Does that encourage you in terms of what what the future looks like for, for the next generation? Well, Yes, it does, actually. I, I always tend to be encouraged by, by things <laughs> like that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I think that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really gratified by the degree of media savvy that, uh, um, that younger generations, uh, millennials um, and, uh, and, and Gen Z certainly are showing uh, compared to older generations such as my own. And I think that's wonderful. I mean, it's really because of this media savvy, uh, it's one of the key reasons that advertising, as it was traditionally practiced, no longer works. Uh, you, you, you can't interrupt somebody's TV show and, uh, you know, spout um, information at them for um, two or three minutes which is what happens, uh, and expect them, to, uh, expect them to buy it. So it's no, lo- it's no, wonder. It's no wonder that, uh, uh, that people use ad blockers online and, uh, and skip commercials on TV. Um, the only way commercials, the only way advertising is going to work is if uh, it provides um, uh, stories, which is to say entertainment. Uh, if it has some sort of emotional hook that's going to grab us. The other side of that is the importance of understanding storytelling in classical, in a classical form and classical education, even for those that are going to be involved in the world of technology. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's this um, sense that anthropology is, uh, is, is something that uh, uh, is sort of old hat these days, but I don't think that's true at all. You know, anthropology is really the study of humans and human societies, and, and I think that it's really critical and more critical than ever uh, for us to understand one another, to understand how we work, uh, to understand you know what makes us tick, and uh, and what motivates us, and how to motivate us, and uh, you know these are these are really um, crucial skills, and storytelling is very much at the center of that. Frank Rose, his book is The Sea We Swim In: How Stories Work in a Data-Driven World. Frank, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I totally enjoyed it. Thank you.